It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet one, the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him here to me, for I will not sit down till he comes here. Now, that would be probably the normal thing for an older guy is to sit down. But I believe that Samuel had an anticipation concerning David. Notice he says, So he sent and brought him in. And he was ready, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. That is the confirmation that he was looking for. This is the one. There's something that just settles the heart. And he knew that that was right. And he said, okay. Samuel took the horn of anointing oil. Literally anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now Ramah is where Samuel originally lived. So he just went back home after he had done what God had called him to do. Notice again, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that time forward, and it was because God had a special purpose for him. There was something different in his life. Friends, again, I don't believe we can ever meet the Lord in a personal way and ever be the same as we were before. Um, I, I think even people that are backslid will admit to that. Because you know that life apart from Christ is a big lie. And, and, you know, I, I always think it's funny. Backslidden Christians are the most miserable people on earth. They just are. You know why? Because they're not happy in Jesus, and they know the world's a lie. They ain't happy nowhere. You know, they go out and try to sin and have fun, and the devil's, you know, trying to egg them on, and the Holy Spirit's saying, you're not having a good time. You're not having a good time. And you know it. Because your spirit doesn't bear witness to what you're doing. So you're never really the same person once you accept the Lord. And I certainly believe this was the case with with David as we find the anointing of God on his life and the things that God began to do. Because now that God had separated him for his purpose, now you begin to find how God begins to work in his life. Now, Saul, going back to him, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is upon you. Now it's interesting that they could recognize this depressing spirit that was there. Now somebody would say, Well, what kind of a God is it that sends a depressing spirit? First of all, remember something. The devil is still God's devil. And as long as Saul, I believe, was under the protection 
of the Holy Spirit in righteousness, I believe these things stay away. But you know, when he did not do what God wanted him to do, and since, as it says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, that protection is now gone, and now he's vulnerable to whatever spirit comes along. And God allowed this spirit to come and trouble Saul. And so, verse 16 says, Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful player on the harp, and it will be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you will be well. Now, it's interesting here. They continually recognized that this is something that God allowed to happen. Now, again, as you go back, do you think that that was some small thing when Saul rejected what Samuel had told him to do? And it's interesting that Saul made his excuses. He said, I feared the people, and that's why I did not kill the animals and everything else. So it showed that he was weak. Everybody knew why. And so Samuel rebukes Saul and said, God is torn. Actually, we remember as, as, as Samuel was leaving, Saul reaches out and grabs him by, the, by his, his, his uh, cloak, and he tears it. And Samuel turned around and said, God's torn the kingdom from your hand. And I believe that probably was noticed by people, and of course that was said. And so they recognized that this thing was not um, just by accident, but it was something that God had allowed. So Saul said to his servants, verse 17, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillfully playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent the messenger to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them uh, by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please, let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now it's interesting, because this continued to allow David to be more and more in the presence of Saul, who was still acting as the king of Israel. Now, we understand that God has a plan to do his will. Friends, we see all the way through the Bible that God will do to great, great measures to provide for his own, to do what he wants them to do at the expense of the world. In fact, as we studied, it says that God has, has saved up the wealth of the world for the righteous. Now, I think that's an interesting verse there. Well, here we find that this, this spirit was sent to Saul so that David could play his harp and be in the presence of the king. Here's a, a kid. Now, notice he goes from being a sheep herder to the, the king's armor bearer in a day. Only God can do that. Can you think of any other places like that that that's happened? Well, sure. All the way through the Bible, what difference a day makes. That would be a good sermon for probably somebody to write down or a book. The difference a day makes. Because if you look, we remember Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in prison. By divine opportunity, he interprets a dream for the butler and the baker. The butler is returned back to the Pharaoh's side, 
Pharaoh has a dream and doesn't understand what it means. We remember that the butler said, oh, by the way, when I was in prison, evidently there was some kind of a murder plot on the Pharaoh's life. They didn't know whether it was the butler or the baker. Maybe they put some poison in the food or whatever. The baker ended up dying, but the butler was returned back to the side of Pharaoh. And we remember that that uh, he said, well, uh, he can interpret dreams, bring him to me. And so we remember that Joseph accurately interprets the dream and what it meant. And he said, who can I find in whom the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. Only, only by this throne will you be greater than me. And so he basically went from prison to the second in command of the, one of the most powerful nations in the world in one day. We remember that we find David, sheep herder. Now he goes to the king's side in a day. All the way through the Bible, you'll see, as an example, Saul on his way to kill Christians in Damascus. And the Lord knocked him to the ground. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In a day, he was transformed. And he went from killing Christians to saving people. All the way through, you see what a difference a day makes. So about the time you get really frustrated with your life, maybe, and you think it's just going to keep going on and on and on and on, and it's never going to get any better, remember this, the difference. When God enters into the situation, the difference a day makes. Because God does great things in a day. And sometimes it's beyond our understanding. And I think oftentimes God does it that way just to show you and prove to you it was him that did it. Well, you see, it was a lot of really hard work. And many hours of toil and strain. And all of a sudden, I worked my way up through the prison. And then, you know, I became prime minister. You know, I, no, no. It's, it's that a lot of times we think that it's through a lot of work that we are promoted. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. And so God is the one that really ultimately does these things. But it's to show you that he's greater than whatever circumstance you may think is in front of you. Here he is in prison, forgotten by everyone, sold into slavery, treated terrible really his whole life, except for the love of his dad, and then he was torn away from him. And then because of God, he is promoted to prime minister. Now we find David the same way. Really, out just tending sheep. This prophet comes by, pours oil on his head, mm, okay, Holy Spirit comes on him. Okay, now all of a sudden there's a troubling spirit from the Lord on the king of Israel and they're looking for somebody that can play a harp and calm him down. So they send for David and David ends up being his armor bearer. Well, now the Philistines, verse 17. By the way, this is a long chapter and so I don't know if we'll get through it or not because there's a lot of great stuff here. The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And were gathered together at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Succoth and Azekai in the, in the Ephes Danim. And, and this is, actually I've been there in this particular valley, and it's uh, a big area. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel were on the mountain on the other side, and the valley between them. And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and span. So he was, he was um, about almost ten feet tall. This guy was one big dude. <laughs> and uh, very intimidating in size. And so he says... 
He had a bronze helmet on his head and armed with a coat of mail. That's not something from the post office. It was uh, those little, uh, they, they look like, uh, like quarters have a hole punched in them. And then they would sew them onto the garment. So if a sword was to hit it, the metal disc would, would then glance and not allow the sword to, to penetrate and pierce them. And so this guy was fully battle arrayed. Bronze helmet on his head. He was turned in a, uh, armed in a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Or about 125 pounds is how much his coat weighed. So it tells you a little bit about the size of Goliath that he would wear a coat that weighed 125 pounds. Now, just to give you an idea what that is, that would be like carrying around probably about six bowling balls. What are you doing? Just carrying this around, you know. And uh, you, you think about that for a minute, how much weight uh, that really is. And, and so it gives you an idea of how strong Goliath was, how big he was, how intimidating he was. Verse 6. And he had a bronze uh, graves on his legs and a bronze javelin uh, between his shoulders. And so this guy just had all kinds of uh, protection, armament over his knee, all this stuff. Now the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and the shield bearer went before him. So uh, just his... Um, Sword alone weighed around 15 pounds. So that's a pretty heavy uh, thing. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistines and you're the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, it tells you a little bit about where the relationship with God was at because they were fearful and fear is the opposite of faith. And so he was defying Israel. Now, you have to remember that, uh, as we read back when Saul was coronated king, that he was head and shoulders above everybody else, and so Saul was no little man himself. Now, he might not have been almost 10 feet tall, but he was a big man. And, it, and, and what's interesting here is Goliath's height and his appearance intimidated Saul. Now, we remember Saul was kind of one of these guys that um, experienced a few victories and it would go to his head immediately and, and he had all these other issues. In fact, uh, we remember a couple chapters back after he returned from one of the battles that he was in, it says that he uh, made a monument to himself <laughs> for his great victory that he had. But now he's up against a formidable opponent named Goliath. Well-dressed and um, very intimidating. And the people of Israel, because I believe again, as their faith in God had lapsed, Saul's faith in God was gone, uh, that they were in dismay, it says. Verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephraite of Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul into battle. And the names of the three sons were Elab, Abinadab, 
and Shemaiah. These were the first three sons that he had. David was the youngest and had three older, and and three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Now, of course, probably because they were all in battle array out on the battlefield, David probably says, well, I'm going to go back and feed sheep for a while. There's nothing going on here. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephath of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. So what he was doing, his dad was sending him a little treat, saying, here, you know, here's some cheese and crackers, and let me know how the battle's going. So Saul and they all, the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper. I think that's interesting. Sometimes you read fast, you might miss that. So David left the sheep with a keeper. In other words, he didn't just abandon his post, but he made sure that the job that he was doing, if he had to leave it, he made somebody else in charge that could take care of it. In other words, he was a responsible guy. Now, how many times do sometimes you see people that are, you know, do something and they abandon their post to go do something else and they leave the gate open? So he says, He left the sheep with the keeper and took the things as went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight for shouting uh, for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as they talked with him, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And so he spoke according to the same words, and so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and give him his daughter, and his father's household will be a 501c3. Uh, His house will be tax-exempt, is what it's saying. He's not going to have to pay taxes. He's going to make him rich, give him the king's daughter to marry, which, by the way, that in itself gave that person who married the king's daughter great wealth and authority in the kingdom. By just simply marrying his daughter, he all of a sudden went from a nobody to now in the king's household. So that was just that in itself was something, not counting the wealth and not counting the tax exemption that would come. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him on this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Elab, his older brother, heard as he spoke to the men, and Elab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And whom have I left you uh, with those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your uh, insolence of your father's heart, for you have come down to see the battle. 
Now, it's interesting here because Elab misjudged David. Now, when we read back just uh, the previous chapter, we remember that God had rejected Elab from being king. Remember he said he said he looks good, but God does not see uh, men the way men see men, but the, God sees the heart. Now you're starting to see Elab's heart, why God rejected him. A lot of times, I think this is interesting, because a lot of times it takes time to really reveal what a person is really about. Um, sometimes, you know, people appear to be something that they're not. Sometimes they appear to be spiritual and they're really not. It takes time sometimes to reveal those things. It takes time sometimes to reveal the motive of why somebody does what they do. I've talked to uh, some of the different people that I've grown up with over the years of being raised in church. And I remember talking to guys and girls both that say, yeah, well, when we were dating, he'd go to church with me all the time. He'd read his Bible, he'd pray. And then right after we got married, he wouldn't go to church with me anymore. And he stopped reading his Bible and he started swearing at me and cussing and hitting me. And I, and I, I think about that. And I, I think, oh, that's kind of weird. Because what were they doing? Putting on a show to make everybody think they were something that they weren't? And then when they finally figured out that they had what they wanted, then they could go ahead and, so to speak, let it all hang out, what they really were all about all along. And and sometimes we would say, well, I don't see how God could make that judgment upon Elab if all you read was chapter 16. But when you read chapter 17, you begin to realize that Elab had something wrong with him, that he misjudged people. Verse 29, And David said, what, I have, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. And the words which David spoke were heard, and they reported them to Saul, and he sent for them for him. And, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail uh, because of him, speaking of Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight the Philistine. <laughs> Now, uh, this is kind of cute. You got to realize that David at this time, he was a sheep, he was tending sheep. He was the youngest of his whole family. And so he was probably somewhere between 13 and probably 16 years old. Now it tells me a little bit here too, because it tells me that people in their teenage years can have a real, genuine, powerful love for God too. And you also have to remember that he was anointed by Samuel earlier for God's special purpose. And so it says that David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant David will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against the Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear uh, took a lamb out of the flock, then I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. And when I arose, uh, when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Now this guy was a real, what do you call that guy on TV? White knight. This guy would go out and go after the, <laughs> the, 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 the attacker of his flock and go out and kill it. He, he said, I'd grab it by its beard. Well, your servant has killed both lion and bear. 
And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I guess Saul at this particular point figured, Well, we've been out here for some 40 days and nobody's done anything. And if this kid wants to go, I guess, what do we got to lose? So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor. But when he tried to walk, for he had not tested them, David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Now, this is a real important truth. You cannot wear somebody else's armor. You cannot wear somebody else's defense. It will drag on you because God's got you uniquely different than somebody else. And you can't wear somebody else's shoes. You can try, but you won't walk very well in them. And this is what happened. Saul tried to dress David in his armament and he couldn't do it. Now, here's part of the problem. David was a youth. Saul just said he was. And David, uh, Saul, was an older man, head and shoulders above everybody else. So you could just see this big old helmet on this kid, this big old coat of mail, and a sword that says it, it hampered him trying to walk. So as he's walking, it's probably dragging on the ground. He's all weighted down. And he realized this ain't going to work. And friends, it doesn't work. You can't wear somebody else's armor If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for 1 Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.